the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hi, friends. Welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, and Brian Fromm would normally be here, but that introduction just lied to you. I'm so sorry. He is not here. He is suffering for the Lord in Florida right now, creating some news, I'm sure. But we are joined in the studio by my dear friend, Dr. Rachel Shannon. Doctor, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Okay, so before we dive in, let me just sort of fill some information buckets here. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. You can also go to 1160hope.com. All the previous shows are there. Plus, we're podcasted and quite literally every possible podcast platform you can find. And uh, we would love to hear from you. You can text us. You can call us. You can check us out on Facebook. Uh, we would love to interact with you in any way that you'd like. And uh, one of the reasons that I'm really excited about having you on the show is I just think you're a fascinating individual in general. So why don't you just let people know, first and foremost, who you are and, and what you do? So uh, I have been a marriage and family therapist since 1992. I have been a therapist, actual in outside of marriage and family therapy since uh, 1986. So okay. I have a private practice right now. I was a faculty member at Judson University for 14 years, where we met each other. That's right. Um, having fun classes and those kinds of things. <laughs> it was a human sexuality class. It's so. true. It's yeah, true. You were my why. professor that's in human sexuality. Exactly right. I think that I sang a song in a Superman costume you during did. one of those classes. You yeah. did. It was a very interesting. <laughs> we probably song. should leave it there. That's <laughs> we should. Yes. No more reminiscing about that class. <laughs> No one wants to know. No one wants to know no, the details of no, that encounter. They do not. <laughs> well, one of the things that I find so interesting about you is not only that you have you've taught in a you know an evangelical school and you have your own private practice and um, your stories in that class, which I, I think was probably when did I graduate? Fifteen years ago, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, was were some of my first glimpses of like this holistic look at like the brain and the soul and how they kind of correspond. And you, I think, have such an interesting take. And I want to talk about some of the things that you legitimately have expertise in, not the least of which is um, you talk a lot about uh, depression and how in a lot of ways depression as a culture, particularly for young people, right. seems to be like at a steady incline right, right. now. Can you, can you talk a little bit about that? So um, there's a little bit of kind of the question of is it actually a steady incline or are people just much more interested and mm. open to mm. my generation was not open to therapy very mm. well, that type of a thing. So 
I'm really proud of this generation for being open to understanding themselves, understanding kind of what's going on in their life and that type of a thing. Yeah. And there's all kinds of theories out there about why depression is on the rise. Some of it is really related to social media and that type of a thing. Okay, okay. Um, but there's a really interesting author by the name of Brene Brown. Yep, love Brene Brown. Yeah, she's awesome. And she's actually a shame researcher. I love her story when she says, you know, I go to a party and people ask me, what do you do for a living? And she's like, I'm a shame researcher. Shuts it down. Right. <laughs> That's the conversation. Ender, right? right. Forget about it. Forget about it. Cool. I'll be over here. Right. <laughs> so one of the things that she talks about is foreboding joy. Mm. And the idea behind that is that. We spend so much time worrying about the other shoe dropping Mm. that we struggle to actually live in the moment. And I love what she has to say um, where she says that gratitude is the antidote to foreboding joy. So being grateful for every single thing that occurs in your life every single day. Mm. Grateful that the sun's shining. We live in Illinois afterwards, right? (laughs) Um, And so just being grateful for all of those types of things in our life. And she did a really interesting research study where she talked to people who had lost a child to death Mm. um, that was the child was very young. Mm. And they basically said it was the little things in life that they missed, the sound of their feet going down the stairs, those types of things. So um, if you're really starting to head down that path of depression, one of the things that I encourage my clients to do is really be grateful for little things. Wow. So this morning, I'm grateful that both of my children are healthy, that I'm healthy, that there isn't anybody in my life at this moment that's really struggling with any type of terrible medical things Mm. or uh, that type of thing. So looking at the little things, every little thing. My car started this morning. Right, right. My car starts every morning. But just, Mm. again, looking at all those things and really making sure that your brain is oriented towards all that is good, pure, right, just think on those things. Right. Okay. So so you made an interesting point there, though, because so I'm a a pastor and I feel like um, pretty often I'm interacting with people who are kind of in the valley of grief, right? There are people often call a pastor when they lose a child or when a loved one is sort of uh, on their deathbed and... It is unfortunate that so often it takes those events for us to realize that the little mm-hmm. things matter. So how, what are some practical ways? Like, how can you, like, I believe you when you say, man, it's about paying attention to the little things. And yet in my own life, I'm not very good at it. Right. I'm usually going a million miles a minute and then I just collapse on the bed and then I do it again the next day. Right. That's probably some of my own stuff, to right. be honest. But right. like, what are some practical ways for anyone listening? It's like, okay, I, I want to be grateful, but so often a day just flashes by sure. and I, and I don't know how to actually practice this at all. Sure. So one of the things that you do is you pair it with something that you do every day. Hmm. So hopefully you brush your teeth every day, right? I mean, for the most part. (laughs) (laughs) So while you're brushing your teeth, if you're doing it the way your dentist is telling you to do it, (laughs) thank you for- I feel shamed right right now, ironically. Two and a half years of braces will do that to you. Um, If you're doing three minutes of brushing your teeth, that's three minutes of gratitude. And literally- Hmm. It takes me 1.3 seconds to say, I'm so grateful that the boys are healthy today. Yeah, right, right. So if you attach it to something that you do every single day, most people do, they'll sing in the shower or they'll do those kinds of things in the shower. Hmm. Why don't you do a little bit of a gratitude thing in the shower? Why don't you do gratitude as you're driving? Like as I'm driving down the street, just thanking God for the area that I live in. Right. 
when there's not six feet of snow, but right. Um, right? <laughs> so, and just thanking God for the job that I'm going to right. and for the friends that I have. And so attaching it to something you do every single day because it becomes a habit then, right? Mm. So you have a million habits in your life, whether you're aware of them or not, attach positive to those habits. And then you have a habit of positivity. That sounds like a spiritual discipline. Like I right. remember my, my great grandma, she was, she was a hundred when she passed, but I remember asking her, how how does how does she pray? I was curious in her prayer life, and she told yeah. me like with tears in her eyes. Yeah. Oh, I just pray alphabetically. I start at A, and I thank God for air, wow. and then I move to B, and I thank God for the birds, wow. and then see my. And she's like, and I just go through the alphabet two or three times every night. And I remember thinking, looking at this, you know, at the time she was ninety three, ninety four. Yeah. For her, it wasn't rote. It was like part of her spiritual discipline right. to like, okay, just being mindful. Right. Who thanks God for air? Right. I'm trying to think of the last time I was grateful for air. Right. But even in this conversation, hearing you say, yeah, we all, we're all showering. We're all brushing our teeth. Why not redeem that time? Exactly. Not just because it's like, quote, a good spiritual practice. You're like, right. it's actually good for our physiology. It's good right. for our it's neurology. It's good for your brain. Right. Absolutely. Why, why do you think it's so rare? Why do you, why do you, why do you find that we, we drift towards negativity so easily? So there is a lot of research that says that that's just part of the human condition. Mm. I mean, we can go into the whole sin came into the world part of things if we want to. Yep. Um, but I just think that for most people, it's easier to focus on the things that we don't have because mm. there's so many things that we want to have. Yeah. So it's just it's just part of human nature. And so mm. there's a lot of things that are part of human nature that we really kind of fight against every single day right, or we right. have a practice against um, every single day. So I just feel like that positivity thing. Yeah. And think about just the people in your life. Right. I mean, I think part of the reason why we enjoy each other so much is that there's a lot of positivity between mm. us. Like mm. we laugh a lot right. and we tell good stories and those types of things. That's super helpful. So uh, if I didn't mention it earlier, we're going to be joined by Dr. Rachel Shannon for the entirety of this hour. And that's how this whole week is going to look in Brian's absence. And uh, I am so grateful that you're here and just to sort of continue with this gratitude thing because, yeah. man, I think you have so much wisdom. And so we're going to continue this conversation, talk a little more specifically uh, about depression and what do I do if I'm already there? Short awesome. of medication even. What, what are the things that if I'm listening, I'm the one who's in the valley right now. What do I do about that? So that's coming up next on The Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simkins, normally joined by Brian Fromm, who is in sunny Florida right now. I actually don't know if it's sunny or not. It might be cloudy. Maybe I it hope is. it's cloudy. <laughs> <laughs> That is on record, Dr. Rachel Shannon, hoping that it's cloudy <laughs> for Brian Fromm. We are joined in the studio by Dr. Rachel Shannon. We've been talking a little bit about uh, some of this shame stuff, some of this depression, anxiety stuff, but also the importance of like having these conversations. And I think you're spot on that it feels like two generations ago it was so taboo, particularly right. in kind of the, the Christian vein. Like, Absolutely. oh my goodness, you were either like demon possessed or we didn't talk about it. Right. And I think that that probably led to some unhelpful practices. So I'm I'm curious, because you have so much practical experience and you're well-researched and you're an educator, what what about somebody who either they're listening right now and they're like, no, I'm, I'm in danger of this depression thing or someone they, they know is clearly showing signs. Like what, what right. what's some of the advice or insight that you would give? 
So first of all, if you're really struggling, one of the things I would encourage you to do is go to therapy. Yeah. Um, it really is something where you've got somebody who's trained to help you through it. So I have some very like things that you can do outside of therapy in addition to therapy. If you feel like you're just really starting to head down the depression thing, these things will definitely help you. So um, one, no big surprise, is mm. exercise. Okay. So making sure, even if you do 10, so there's been some research in terms of how exercise impacts your brain, and even 10 minutes of exercise is going to be helpful to your brain. No 10, kidding. Yep. 10 minutes of vigorous exercise is the most helpful. So really? 10 minutes of walking is going to help you. 10 minutes of running is going to increase the level uh, wow. that it helps you. Wow. So okay. making sure you exercise, if you do it in a beautiful area, that's going to help too because you kind of see God's beauty around you. Mm. If you're doing uh, exercise at a gym, if there's a window that you can look outside, mm. if it's a beautiful sunny day, um, that in and of itself really can help you just at that moment um, in terms of the depression part of things. Another thing is setting goals. Okay. So, and it doesn't actually matter what goal you set. Hmm. So if you're really, really struggling, set a goal that you're going to um, get out of bed by nine o'clock in the morning instead of getting out of bed at noon when you normally would. So whatever your goal is, something that you feel like you can actually meet. So right. now is not the time to decide <laughs> that you're going to have a new career right, or right, something right. that's a long-term goal. Like New Year's resolution type stuff. I'm going to exactly. go to the gym four to seven times a week. Like, exactly. No, you're not. Exactly. <laughs> no. So set a very small manageable goal. Mm. And the minute you start taking a step towards that goal and the setting of the goal itself starts to change some of that brain chemistry. So those mm. are just a couple of little things that will help you. Um, and then, again, we talked a little bit in our last segment about the positivity part of things. Yeah, so right. what you think is what your brain really uh, starts to pay attention to. Hmm. And the prevailing wisdom at this point is three positive thoughts for every negative thought. Tell so, me more about that. What, is that. what does that mean? So if I'm thinking, you know, I'm so... Um, I'm so unhappy today hmm. and I list out the laundry list of things that I'm so unhappy about. Yeah. I have to have three very clearly positive thoughts to neutralize that negative thought really in my brain, right? Wow. So I need to think it's a beautiful day outside and God's provided us with sunshine or I need to think, you know what? I'm really happy in my friendship with Ian today or <laughs> those types of things. So yeah. making sure that you really do focus on that positive part. So sometimes I have clients that will get in this very negative downward spiral. Right. And the more negative things they think, the worse things get for them. No kidding. So I usually have people, just because I'm a huge fan of saying things out loud, I mm. usually will have people write down a number of positive things and then every morning before they get out of bed, say them out loud. Every night before they go to bed, say it out loud. Even if they're by themselves, just Even the power if of saying yep, it out loud. The power of saying it wow. out loud. And I always use the example, the first time you said, I love you to Katie, hmm. it was totally different than the first time you thought it. Oh, that's interesting. There's something about saying it out loud that we have to buy into. Yeah, I think I said it too soon, by the way. Her, <laughs> her reaction was like, you what? what? Are you kidding me? <laughs> That's a different story for a different time. Yes, <laughs> yes. I'll be back for that story for sure. So 
Um, I'm really reading a really interesting book right now. It's called uh, The Upward Spiral by mm. Alex Korb. And he talks a lot about just um, depression types of things. And so um, he talks about some of the different like uh, chemicals inside of our brain. So serotonin is something that will improve our willpower and motivation and mood. And so when people are depressed, they tend to be low on serotonin. Mm. So you can do medication um, and for people who are severely depressed, they absolutely need to take some mm. type of antidepressant medication. Mm. But there's some other things um, that I would encourage everybody to talk to their doctor about. So I did a seminar with a naturopath who, 100 years ago, I used to think they were witch doctors. Right, right. <laughs> right? <laughs> so she ends up telling us that she's got a medical degree. And I hope and pray that she was not looking at me because I was like, Really? <laughs> It's like complete look of shock you on my face. Hide your I couldn't surprise. hide it. It was bad. <laughs> right. And so what she said was that in America, because of the way we farmed with chemicals and those kinds of things, it is impossible to get enough magnesium hmm. in your diet, even if you eat raw, organic, et cetera, et cetera. Really? So her advice was to A, speak to your physician. Yep. And then B, talk to your physician about um, supplementing with about two to 400 milligrams of magnesium. Hmm. And magnesium is something that has like a calming effect to it. So you hmm. want to take it about an hour before you go to bed. Okay. So go to your doctor, have a blood test done. Yeah. Find out what your magnesium levels are and ask your doctor to actually see the values. Because if you're within the normal range for you, you may need to have a little bit more in order to function optimally. Hmm. Again, you need to ask your doctor about that. And so there's a couple of different types of magnesium. So uh, magnesium citrate is something that you use if you tend towards having loose stools. Okay, that's good to know. Are we allowed to say that? I mean, um, we just we just did. Okay. <laughs> and then um, magnesium glycinate you use if you tend to be constipated. So there's a couple things. Magnesium deficiency occurs um, many times people who are constipated have a magnesium deficiency, the restless leg syndrome. Wow, there's, really? Yeah, there's all kinds of physical things that are associated with um, with magnesium deficiency. So you really want to pay attention to that. So this is fascinating to me on so many levels. And one of the things you mentioned about uh, not just gratitude, I, I feel like in a lot of ways that's linked to to memories, right? So it's right. Uh, it's not just the things that I have, but it's also gratitude right. for like these stories that right. I, I have fondness for. And then I think in contrast, uh, it seems like a lot of people's experience with social media is everyone else is living a better life than me, right? Exactly. It's, it's everyone else's highlight reel compared to my blooper reel. Right. And so it's easy, I imagine... Uh, especially if you have sort of a, a proclivity towards hyper social media usage, like, yep. oh, everyone else is living a way better life than I am. Right. Is, is there a correlation between some of our depression rates and how much we're online comparing our story to everybody else's? So I'm not aware of specific studies on okay. that, but just kind of from living life, I would say absolutely. I've had a number of clients who've just shut down their social media so that they aren't looking at that. And remember, if you're depressed, you're going to have a negative cloud over every single thing. Even good things, probably. Even good things. Mm. So even your memory of good things. So, oh, really? Yes. So you'll wow. look back at things in your life wow. that you will have a negative bent to them, even though in the moment they were not something that was negative. Really? Yeah. And so how do you counteract those things? Like, Do you surround yourself with other people who shared those same memories to sort of like rewrite a different script or how, how do you like overcome? How do you, how do you restart some of those like negative clouds that you have for stories and memories past? So first of all, remember that you've got a negative cloud and mm. it's probably 20% better than what you actually 
had previously right. and then make sure that you have people that remember those times and are not depressed and can talk to you about it. Oh, that's fascinating. That's so helpful. Okay, so we're going to continue our conversation with Dr. Rachel Shannon. We've been talking about stress and anxiety and ways to sort of begin to overcome that both individually and collectively. And coming up next, I want to talk a little bit about what do we do when we find ourselves in a situation where we're like way outside our wheelhouse, which is a place that I find myself in (laughs) a lot these days, it seems. I think it's going to be an absolutely brilliant conversation. That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hi, friends. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is, my name is Ian. Wow. Easy for me to say. My name is Ian Simpkins. I've been saying it my entire life. Just fell all over the place, didn't I? We were dancing to the we music if we tell the truth. I, <laughs> I was distracted by the dancing. Absolutely. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show or at 1160hope.com. I would normally be joined by Brian Fromm, but he's in sunny Florida right now. But I'm thrilled to have in the studio my good friend, Dr. Rachel Shannon. We've been talking about all sorts of interesting things today. And I'm I'm really interested in this next topic because I don't know that I've ever heard anyone really talk intelligently to the linkage between like having to live outside of our wheelhouse and how that pertains to this idea of, of really having multiple personalities. Can you, can you talk to a little bit about that? Yeah. So um, there is a wonderful book called Multiplicity. Can't tell you what the author's name is because it's been a while since I read it, but <laughs> <laughs> terrible with names. <laughs> Same. Right. So the idea behind it is that we all have multiple personalities. Mm -hmm. It's just not a disorder. So multiple personality disorder is something that in therapy people will work on. But this is you and I as normal, well, you know, human (laughs) beings. Asterisks, air quotes. Right, exactly. (laughs) And so the idea is that most people have one to two major personalities Mm. and you might have a few minor personalities. So I love this little thumbnail sketch thing that she does in her book where she asks you to go to your closet. So Mm. if you're at home, go to your closet, actually (laughs) open up your closet doors. And what do you see? Do you see several different distinct styles of Mm. clothes? Do you see um, several distinct styles and then some random pieces thrown in there or that type of a thing. And that's a way of doing just a quick assessment of do you have one major personality and a few little minor ones or do you have a couple of major personalities and no minor ones or that type of a thing. Right. So I always use my dad as an example when I talk about this. So my maiden name was Kleinhen, which is obviously very German. And my father was very German, right? So you open my dad's closet. It is literally one personality. No kidding. Kid you not. When (laughs) I was a kid, my dad never, ever wore a non-collared shirt. Really? Like polo shirts or whatever. Always had a collared shirt. My dad just never wore a shirt in general. So Wow. I'm just kidding. kidding. (laughs) (laughs) He was clothed sometimes. There you go. (laughs) So, and when he needed shorts, my mom would cut off his old dress pants i'm not kidding either and that was his shorts like you knew exactly we used to say you could offer fred (laughs) kleinhen a million dollars and he'd be like thank you (laughs) whereas i'd be like i love this man so much i know he's so he was an awesome guy and so my dad had literally one personality that was it wow and so Um, You can use, if you have multiple, if you're aware of multiple of your personalities, you can use those in difficult situations. Mm. So 
Um, I'm very, it's funny, I had a friend over for dinner last night, and, and he said, you've got your counselor voice on. So oh, I guess I have a counselor personality, right. and I have a faculty member personality, which includes all kinds of crazy things, I'm sure. which we're not going to go into. But um, <laughs> So when my dad died a mm. number of years ago, um, because he was who he was, one of the things that he did was he wrote a letter eight years before his death mm. to be read at his, and I quote, demise. Oh, my goodness. Right? <laughs> so he gave it to my little sister. And when I went back to Ohio, we opened it, and it was two pages handwritten of thank yous. Oh, wow. I know. So sweet. To everybody in his life. And wow. he gave a blessing to each of his kids. But he wanted it read at his funeral. Oh, no way. Right. And my sister was like, no way I'm going to do that. Right. I'm so out. if any of the uh, Kleinhen children are listening, I'm the favorite. <laughs> and... <laughs> Had to get that in there, obviously. They probably would agree with that. (laughs) And so I felt like, you know, being the eldest child and his favorite is my responsibility to uh, read this letter to everybody. But I knew that as Rachel Klein and his daughter, there was no way I was going to be able to read it without crying hysterically. Right. Right. And because he was German, crying was not acceptable in any way, shape or form. Oh, wow. So having kind of understood the multiplicity thing, I decided I was going to pull out Dr. Shannon, the faculty member. Interesting. I'm accustomed to standing in front of groups of people. I'm accustomed to, because I'm totally random, I usually have all my notes written out so that I keep myself on track and that type of a thing. And so for when I went to his funeral, I walked in, not as Rachel Klein and his daughter, but as Dr. Shannon, the faculty member. Fascinating. And I read his thing as though I was giving a lecture to a classroom of students And as soon as it was over with, I sat down and bawled my eyes out the rest of the time because I allowed myself to go back to being his daughter. And you're cognizant of that shift. That was an intentional, okay, I have to go be this person. Absolutely intentional shift. That's fascinating. And so, you know, nobody wants me to be the uh, mother of two kids Mm. in therapy. Mm. I don't want to be your mom. I want to be your therapist. And so, like, when I see um, clients who are younger then me, I don't want to be in that mom role. Right, right. So I have a therapist personality. I have a daughter mom personality, right? So you just start to become aware of those things. And so that's part of the reason why how you dress matters, because there's certain ways that you dress that helps to encourage that personality to come out. That's fat. Okay. So I have a a whole bunch of thoughts. Like I have a buddy who is a uh, professional photographer, brilliant photographer. His name is Rob Davidson. If you're listening, you know, Rob. Yes, I do. And Rob would say uh, that he used to dress in suits just to start the day because it had a way of like tricking his mind. Like I'm I'm Rob, the professional. Exactly. What I I find so interesting though, is like I've had conversations with my wife where if she's sharing something difficult and I'm responding a couple of times, she said, I don't, I don't need you to pastor me right now. I was like, Oh, I wasn't, I wasn't trying to kind of like your friend who's saying, Oh, you have your counselor voice right now. You were unaware in that moment that this other, you know, quote personality was sort of present in that moment. How can we be more intentional like you at your dad's funeral about choosing which of those lanes that we're in at any given moment. Are there, are there ways or tactics for like, okay, I need to be in this lane right, right now for this right. environment. This is something that I feel like is brand new content for a lot of people. How, how can we be strategic in uh, coordinating those things? Well, particularly for you, when you get home from work, yeah. change your clothes. Hmm. Do not wear the same clothes at home that you're wearing. No kidding. Right. And, I guess I would ask you to really be aware of who is Ian, the husband and father. Like, how are you as a husband and father 
different from as a pastor. So mm-hmm. what are those personality characteristics? And on your drive home or your walk home, um, make sure that you just kind of say to yourself, I'm leaving the pastor mm. at church. Right. And there are times, you know, that I'm, I mean, I've had my kids say things to me like, you're a therapist. We need you to figure this out with us, right? So in they the middle want of like a family in thing. In the middle of a family thing. Interesting. So sometimes they want that. And mm. maybe there are times that Katie or your kids will want the pastor part of you. So it's being very aware of what you feel like, how you hold your body as a mm. pastor versus how you hold your body as a uh, father and a husband. Mm. So how do I hold my body? What am I wearing? And what are my personality characteristics that are associated with that part of my personality? Right, right. So that, okay, so that's endlessly fascinating to me because I feel like I've spent most of my career actually trying to blur those lines to not to not have Pastor Ian be different than just regular mm-hmm. Ian. You know, like I don't want, you know, we've talked about this before where a number of my friends, when they became pastors, you would listen to them preach and they have a different voice to them. Right. Like, oh, who's that guy? What happened to Jim, the guy that right. I had lunch with? You right. have like this this whole other persona. Right. And I always tried to distance myself from that. Like right. I don't want to have these two different personalities, but it kind of it sounds like what you're saying is it that's inevitable. Learn to manage them well. Right. Exactly. In and, the appropriate spaces. And feel free to integrate in the human being into the pastorate. But it sounds like at home mm. you need to take the pastorate part out of the human being. Wow. So just being very aware of that. That's fascinating. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's yeah. so interesting. So coming up next, uh, a topic that I'm sure no one's going to have any interest in, and it's how to deal with difficult people, especially when maybe you're that difficult person. <laughs> That's coming up next with Dr. Rachel Shannon on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Oh, we're dancing again. <laughs> This is going to be the dance segment. I don't know exactly no one can see right. that. Hopefully they can hear that. Well, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Zian Simpkins. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show or 1160hope.com. Normally joined by Brian Fromm, who is in Florida. We don't, we're not sure the temperature. We're assuming sunny. Yeah, we're hoping not. <laughs> and Rachel's got a vendetta against you, Brian. I hope that you are listening. Sorry, Brian. <laughs> you may have lost your spot, man. This has been fantastic. We're joined in the studio by my friend, Dr. Rachel Shannon. We've been talking about... All sorts of topics that I just find so endlessly fascinating. And we kind of teed it up last segment. How do I deal or how do I relate with difficult people, uh, even and especially when maybe I'm that difficult person? And I think you have some really brilliant things to say about that. Awesome. So this is based on a philosophy of kind of, again, personality and change and those kinds of things. So bear with me. (laughs) Um, Three segments to who you are as a person, the protector, the child, and the adult part. That's that's every person? Every person. Child, protector, adult. Yes. Okay. So if we would all behave out of our adult all the time, life would be wonderful. (laughs) Our adult is kind and rational and well-reasoned, et cetera, et cetera. Hmm. Unfortunately, we do not. So that's where the child and the protector comes in. Interesting. So the child part represents whatever pain you had from childhood. So it doesn't matter how fantastic your parents were Hmm. because sin entered the world, there's going to be pain in your childhood. Right. And as I've talked, it's probably been about 12 years at this point that I've had this kind of um, philosophy that I've used with people. As I've talked to people, most people um, identify their child's uh, issue as being um, rejection, abandonment, or not good enough. Hmm. So think about those three topics. 
we don't ever see the child. What we see is the protector. And I'm going to give the polar opposite extremes of the protector. It can be anywhere. It's a continuum. It can be Mm. anywhere on the continuum. Mm. But one side is the victim. And that's the times when you feel like you want to go to bed and you actually do, or you just feel like it. you want to go to bed, pull the covers over your head, shut the world out, right? right. Shut the world out. I hate my life, Mm. et cetera, et cetera. My mom had this really bizarre um, saying that she would say, everybody hates me. Nobody loves me. I'm going to go eat worms. And I remember being a child being like, why would you do that? She would say that regularly. She would literally say that regularly. I know it was really strange. So, that's the victim side of the protector. Got it. The other side of the protector, I call the bear because, yep. as I've said, I have taught. And I had a student one year who loved to play Stump the Dummy with me. And he came <laughs> up to me and he asked me if I was ever in the woods and saw a bear, what would I do? Hmm. At which point I looked at him with a sideways glance and said, do I look like somebody who's ever in the woods? I'm allergic to mosquitoes, for heaven's sakes. I'm never. He's like, just play the game. Right. You're like, I reject your whole premise. I reject your whole premise at this point. And so I was like, I don't know. I'd curl up in a ball. He's like, wrong answer. Hmm. So if you're ever in the woods and see a bear. Right. Make sure that you make yourself as big as possible. Arms up, loud voice, et cetera, et cetera. That's a brilliant picture of the other side of the protector. Mm. That's the person who's yelling and screaming and in your face, et cetera, et cetera. Interesting. And so what I ask people to do is look at themselves and ask themselves, which side of the protector do I usually go to? Mm. And be aware that when other people do one or the other of those things, that's their protector. Hmm. So in dealing with yourself when you're being a difficult person, if you know that your child's issue will take not good enough as an example, if you know your child's issue is not good enough and you go into either victim or bear mode, Hmm. as soon as you recognize that you're doing those behaviors, remind yourself somewhere in that interaction we just had, I feel not good enough. Hmm. And then you talk to the child literally like you were talking to a four-year-old about feeling not good enough. Again, out loud is important, that's significant. Yes. Wow. So um, I usually have clients, if they're willing to name their child. So I call my child Rachane. My parents were missionaries to Vietnam. So Rachane is actually Rachel in Vietnamese. Oh, no kidding. Right. So um, if not good enough was my child's issue, I would just say to her, well, I'm going to talk like I would talk to a child, Rachane, honey. That person in that moment wasn't talking about your abilities. They're Mm. having a bad day. You made a mistake. There's absolutely no reason to be perfect, et cetera, et cetera. So you talk to the child about the not good enough part of things instead of saying, well, they're just a jerk and blah, 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 and kind of blaming and shaming either the other person or blaming and shaming yourself. Fascinating. And so that, that applies also Um, I love using this work with couples Hmm. because all of a sudden it changes the dynamic whenever somebody's having a fight. Because if I understand that your child's issue is not good enough, then I can talk to you and say, oh my gosh, Ian, I am so sorry. It was in no way, shape or form my intent to make you feel like you weren't good enough. What I was saying was I have needs right now. And Mm. you can't possibly know what those are. And so I'm trying to give you that information so that we can be tracking better. How different is that than, oh, really? So you don't want to, like, take care of me? Is that what's going on here? Right. No kidding. Right. Right. Okay. So what what we say often on the show here is that 
it seems like more and more we get caught in our echo chambers and confirmation bias. Like the shouting just gets louder yes. and louder and the sides just get further and further apart. Absolutely. And part of our vision for the show is to how do we create space for dialogue? I think it was Brene Brown that says people are hard to hate up close, right? right. So when you find yourself inclined to like either make yourself big like a bear or just retreat, what, what if we leaned in a little bit? Like in a way that actually exactly. listened to one another. And I feel like one of the ways that I see this manifest a lot is online, where if you and I are having a conversation, right. I can see in real time, oh, something I just said hurt right. you, or your, your face contorted or something. Right. That's way harder to do digitally, because right. it's not really a dialogue. No it's no feedback. Right. So what, what are some ways for us to be more mindful of these, these categories, both in ourselves and in other people? How do we have the wherewithal to hit pause and say, okay. This person said these words, but what I think is really going on beneath the surface is this other thing. Right. How do you how do you help coach people to have that kind of patience? So a lot of it is about the mindfulness part of things. Yeah. And how do I every day think about how I'm interacting with other people? A mm. lot of times we just do it by rote. And a lot of times, mm. you know, another um, I'm an eldest child, so I love rules, same, right? Same here. Yay. I don't love rules, though. I'm sorry. Oh, you don't? Oh, I totally <laughs> love rules. <laughs> so um, one of the things that I love to say to people is 85%. I really believe it's 95, but I'm trying to not be quite yeah that person. 85% of what people say and do has nothing to do with you. So what if I just, wow. just walked around believing mm. that the vast majority of what people say and do has nothing to do with me? then I don't need to be insulted when you go into bear or victim mode. I don't right. need to take it personally. All of a sudden, if I believe that rule, then all of a sudden my next thing is, oh, so what's actually going on potentially with them in this moment Yes, that they're feeling either the pain or victimy or those types of things? Gosh. So even just hearing you say that, I want to like cheer or shout amen, and so much easier said than done, right? But even just that right. charge, re- realizing 85, maybe 95% of right. what's said to us probably has more to do with them. Right, I feel absolutely. Like that, that one little nugget right there, man, if we could carry that into our interactions professionally and oh, relationally, right. and what a what a difference that would make. My goodness. Right. No wonder you've been so successful at this for so long. <laughs> I'm so great. For anyone listening, is there a way that people could get a hold of you if they have more questions or they want to talk to you personally? Sure. So my phone number is 847-867-2265. I have a private practice in Schaumburg. Um, so, yeah. Dr. Rachel Shannon, thank you so, so much for joining us here today. It has been an absolute delight to have you in the studio. Please come back sometime. Thank you so much. I loved it. You've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. My friends, welcome back to The Common Good. That bumper music, though, is a liar. Brian Fromm is not here. He's in sunny Florida right now. And so this week, 
We're calling it the Week of Ian's Friends, and I am absolutely thrilled to have in the flesh, in the studio, my good friend, Reverend, Reverend, take two. Here we go. Let's roll it again. <laughs> nope, we're fine. <laughs> the Reverend, the right yeah. Reverend, Jim Hollenunner. Wow. The right Reverend. I like that. Is, say that is five that right? times fast. I can't say it one time Please fast. Please don't. <laughs> yeah. So good to be here. Oh, man. man. You're, you're a return guest, by the way. Whoa. That's the first time that's ever been said of me on the radio. <laughs> It is. That's a very narrow statistic that you're celebrating there. As I started talking, I realized I had to narrow that down. <laughs> we got to celebrate the little yeah. things here today. I've been to Baker Square plenty of times. <laughs> yep. Okay, so some of you may or may not know this, but Jim and I actually go way back. We went to Judson University together. We got our first ministry jobs just a couple of miles apart. A couple so of miles. You, you not only are like a dear brother in the ministry, but just a really, really close friend. And Amen. someone that I've uh, admired for, I think, as long as I've known you, to be honest. I think that your heart for people and for ministry, your wisdom and wherewithal is something that I, I have on, honestly aspired to. Mm. And uh, I, I'm thrilled for people just to get to know you a little bit and get to know some of your heart. So why don't you, why don't you just start there? Just wow. share a little bit about... Who you are, what you do, where you at? Absolutely, uh, I I definitely share uh, the same sentiments. Oh, um, thanks, man. For somebody else, and uh, <laughs> no, uh, no uh, Ian, yeah, he is. You know those, you know those that are listening. If you ever have someone in your life that you know, good, bad, or ugly, up or down or sideways, uh, that you know you can call and get honest feedback. That was and has been and will continue to be Ian oh, for me thanks, is, is definitely one of those. But uh, yeah, let's no, just, we let's are, just keep doing this for a while. We just, just back and it, forth accolades. You know what? I think <laughs> I, people need time of just affirmation. You know, when's the last time someone looked at you and said, "You know what? You're you're pretty great." I mean, you, you did know? just now, but yeah, before well, that, that's fair. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, let's just go. Yeah, six more minutes of affirmation. <laughs> I bet. After three, people I turn it off, but, you know, it's, it's all right. still with well, us right now, yeah. it's a miracle. If you're listening, you're really great. <laughs> and so we are excited that you are listening. And gosh um, darn it, people like you. Hope for your life. And so, no, we are, yeah, so Carrie and I, so my wife of, in May, will be 11 years. Wow. Yeah, 11 years. That's she crazy. pulled me out of the dating scene with an email on my Juno account, the di- <laughs> New Year's Day 2003. Wow. I won't read the email because I don't remember what it said. Sure. Outside of, uh, yeah, she just kind of laid it out there. And, yeah, so we've been uh, wedded bliss for almost 11 years. That's we've awesome. been together 16, 17. And it was kind of weird when we realized that it's now like half the life. Yeah. Right. right I mean, we're right. both in our mid-30s, and so it's like, Half our life has been together. together. That's awesome. And I mean, it is. It's it's intimidating. It's scary. But uh, in that, we've in those eleven years of wedded bliss, we have three wonderful, amazing, frustrating, <laughs> um, exhausting, beautiful. Because of my wife, boys. Well done. Yeah, six year old Joey, uh, four year old Teddy, and two year old Jack. Man, and they are. Uh, you know, they say the apples of our eyes. I never knew what that meant, but sure. you know, they are just the, you know, they're just the Munster cheese on my sandwich. <laughs> you know, like that is just as a, the old saying goes. Yeah, and we live it. now in Munster, Indiana. But no, I mean, my yeah, I, and you know this. Yep. My journey in the in the church has been. Um, I have a love for the Chicagoland area, mm-hmm. uh, which now includes Northwest Indiana. Right. I didn't really know what that was. Yes. You know, we only ever used Indiana to get to Michigan, and so. Um, <laughs> 
No, it has been quite the journey uh, for us, and it's been so much fun. And God, you know, there have been plenty of times in our life where, you know, it's like a child following their dad in the snow. Yeah, right. You know, hopefully one of my boys will do this one day, but they like to run out ahead of me (laughs) right now. But, um, you know, it's like he was just putting the step down, and we were just stepping. I mean, Mm. I remember all the way back to Judson University, you know, just leaving Pella, Iowa. I was Mm. in Pella, Iowa. and uh, Pella Windows, right? Yeah, that's yeah. but I was not working there. I was at Central (laughs) College in Pella. But, um, you know, I knew that that wasn't the place. Knew Mm. God was calling me to something different. And uh, just following that, scary as all get out, but but fun. And, yeah, and now we we have found ourselves six months in Munster, Indiana. Awesome. Um, And so, yeah, we are at Munster Church at 214 Ridge Road in Munster, Indiana, just on the other side of, or just into Indiana from the Illinois border. Awesome. And, yeah, we have services at 930. We have uh, ministries for all ages. We are... We are about two things. We're about loving Jesus and loving people, and that has been really exciting. It's it's it, for me, and we're going to talk about this a little bit later. Is you know the church is almost 150 years old, wow. and that was intimidating. You know, to interview like, what am I doing? Right. You know, as a thirty-something-year-old with that kind of legacy, and, right? That, you know, you know, standing on the shoulders, the the shoulders <laughs> yeah. of guys that were there for 20, 30 years. Yeah. You know, um, and, and you know. When you just kind of hear God saying you're where you are, where I want you to be, you're like, all right, here we go. You know, it's let's do it. Outstanding. Yeah. So one of the things that I really appreciate about you is I think that you have an incredible sense for uh, holistic ministry. I feel like you see not only the whole person but the whole community really well. And and for the last hour. Uh, we had Dr. Rachel Shannon in the studio. That love her. You also oh, know her, right? I had her as a professor. She's brilliant. brilliant. I thought, yeah. That's so, so her her excellent. whole world is like therapy and counseling. For you, it's kind of a hybrid, right? You have this kind of pastoral ministerial hat, but you also have this counseling therapy hat. Talk, talk to me a little bit about that balance and, and why why that's sort of a passion area for you. Well, I, I think it's because we're made so uh, you know in the image of God, but you know it became more complex with sin, right? I mean, it's when sin entered the world, we were more mindful of all of those aspects. And I mean, there is a, there is, there are layers to people, you know, it's kind of like that onion, right? It's that onion yeah, right. analogy. There are layers. We, we go through things. We develop differently. Um, I'm still waiting for the height thing to kick in and, uh, you know, but it, just emotionally, I mean, we learned at Judson, right? The acronym spies mm-hmm. for a holistic person. Yeah. You have a spiritual side, a physical side, an intellectual side, an emotional side, a social side. Right. I always get the I and the E mixed up. I before E, I don't care, but it, it is what it is. And props to you for you remembering know, the acronym at all. Actually. Yeah, well done. It, it, I mean, I, it's one of those where I knew as a pastor to only minister to one of those, hmm. you're going to miss the whole person. Oh, that's good. You're going to miss the whole person. And even if it's just the spiritual side, I think as pastors, we get really caught up in, well, we need to help them spiritually. Yeah, but that's a building block to other things. Right. It is know? still true, but Absolutely. it's only one piece of the pie. It's only one piece. It's one fifth, if right. you will, of the pie. And so, yeah, for me, when I went into seminary, a Northern seminary, um, they had kind of a concentration for pastoral care and counseling. Hmm. And one of the greatest things I did was our um, CPE. Yeah. which is clinical pastoral education. Okay. And I remember I worked at a hospital, uh, Good Samaritan, Downers Grove. Okay. I was a chaplain there. And then I also worked at a halfway house in Aurora, Wayside mm. Cross Ministries. And that was unbelievable because I, you can learn all the Hebrew. You can learn all the Greek. Right. You can learn, you know, uh, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are from the Beatitudes. Yep. But when you're literally working with somebody that is just getting out of jail yeah. or just, just was diagnosed with cancer, you know, those all have their place, yep. you know, and... Um, 
But the power of presence in that is just, I think, speaks volumes. And the gospel can work that way. I mean, Jesus' presence really brought healing. You know, I mean, I'm not Jesus. I don't bring the healing, but right. I can point to the one that does. That's right. That's right. That's good. Okay, so coming up next, I want to talk a little bit more about that, some of the, the power of presence, and maybe how can we recalibrate our lives, whether we're pastors or individuals, or we're not even sure about this whole Jesus thing in general. What are some ways that we can kind of recalibrate towards that? Because I feel like less and less uh, we're about presence. I think it's easy to hide behind screens and have arguments from our laptops. How can we lean into this idea of presence? And I want to talk to... Reverend Jim Holland, owner, a little bit more about that coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good. And if you could only see our producer, Josh, dancing right now, what a treat to your Monday that would be. Jim's just shaking his head no. Difference of opinion. First time ever. <laughs> True statement. Well, yeah. welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, normally joined by Brian Fromm, but he's in Florida. But we have in the flesh right now my good buddy, Jim Holland, owner. And uh, Jim and I go way back. We were at undergrad at Judson University together. We've had ministries really, really close in proximity to each other. And uh, he's now in Munster, Indiana, leading the way, man. You you were installed how long ago, by the way? Six months. Wow, so you're still in your first. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah, how does it feel ago. six months in now? Oh, man, they talk about the honeymoon period, right? right? right and, right. like, it's always so funny when people talk about, it, like, oh, yeah, once the honeymoon period's over, it's like this shell fall off, <laughs> right. you know, where it's like you're, yeah, I don't know why I was about to go to a Toy Story reference <laughs> of, like, Woody falling off the shelf. I get it. I you get know, it. Yeah. Um, there's another one coming out, by the way, but that's a whole Good separate, plug. Good plug. Brought uh, to you by Toy Story. <laughs> series. And, um, no, the, it, one of the things that we were talking about, um, you know, is just the the idea of pastoring a church that's been around for a long time. Yeah. I'm not their first pastor, right? You know, I I won't be their last pastor. Hopefully, right? You know, like it's one of those mm. uh, God's going to have this season, and yeah, do I hope it's a long season? Absolutely, I do. But it's one of those where they, you know, they've they've seen pastors through thick and thin. I know we're going to talk about that more later, but yep. um, yeah, I mean, it's it, it definitely is a. When you go for your interview and they tell you we you will be taking these days off, so right. you know they they understand kind of healthy family, healthy pastor, healthy church. That's awesome. They've tested that. They've seen it in the good, the bad, and the ugly. Not right. to be cliche, but they have. Right. And so you know the fact that they know. I mean, you keep pastors for a long time at churches yep. because they're it's a healthy environment. Totally. You know, no one's like, wow, this is super stressful and strife every day. And I'm going to stay here for 40 years. <laughs> you know, like I don't think anybody does that. And if they do, that's probably not a good thing. Yeah. Right. But, Unless you're like a masochist. Right. right, exactly. right for sure. This is terrible. I guess yeah. I'm never leaving. I enjoy this every day. <laughs> All right. So you were mentioning before the break, this idea of ministering to the whole person and right. some of that being part of your passion behind uh, this sort of counseling bent. And you mentioned Wayside and a couple of the ministries that, that I've also been a part of, this idea of presence. Yeah. And I'm really interested in that idea because, like, I'll admit that there's an easy draw to social media. And I don't, I'm don't. i not one of those pastors that thinks social media is the devil, right. technology is ruining the world. I actually think it can be a great resource. But Absolutely. I do think, though, like we just read an article last week about this guy was asserting that churches we know it is dead, time to time to go to exclusively online experiences. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't think that's yeah. true. I think that there's something to this actual presence and, and to your point, this holistic presence, not just physical, that's part of the acronym. Right. How do how do we do that well? How have you seen that in ministry? What are some hurdles that you've experienced? No, I get yeah, and I think it's not only is it important, I think it's essential to the pastorate. Hmm. Um 
I you know I remember my ordination exam for uh, the denomination I'm I'm in, which is the Christian Reformed Church, and a question was asked of me and another candidate going through the process. And the question was, you, your phone rings at two thirty in the morning. Yeah, you get the call that you know the the the, the father of three. I mean, they make it. You yeah. know, they like add a lot to it right. to make it super dramatic. But you know, it's like all of a sudden you find out that. You know, so-and-so got in a car accident. Right. They died. Right. Um, and, you know, the family, you get called as the pastor. What do you do? Right. You know, and there's there's a part of you that, you know, wants to have, you know, Psalm 23 ready to go. Or right. if you're in the Reformed tradition, Lord's Day 1. Like, yeah. you want to have yeah, yeah. all of this scripture. You want all this knowledge, this this doctrine, this, this uh, hmm. you know, all of these things, the dogma to come and bring healing. Hmm. And I, I, as I was listening to the one candidate give his answer and beautiful flowing answer of scripture and all of that, I just thought to myself, that's an awful lot hmm. in that moment hmm. when your world is completely upended. Right. The, the bottom the, dropped oh, out. Oh, right? my word. You know, the wor- one of the worst things ever. Yeah. And I thought to myself, Dunkin' Donuts. Like, literally, my mind went to Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> uh, and, and it was one of those, like... Kleenex, Dunkin', like all of a sudden these brands were coming into my mind, huh. but it was really kind of me learning to form that that kind of theology of presence that, mm. uh, do I know Psalm 23? Sure. I remember in third grade I had to memorize it to right. get a Bible. Right. You know, like right. I get all that, and, you know, I, I, I can lead and show people in Scripture, Book of John, and all this thing, all these things, but it, for the wife whose husband died, for the kids who's now fatherless, yeah, right. I, it's not that they don't care about that stuff, it's... They they need something different in that moment. In that moment, yep. and I think that's a cup of coffee or a donut, right. uh, a box of Kleenex, and just sit and mourn. Right? You know, I mean, Jesus in his beatitudes, blessed are those who mourn. He right. he specifically hits that because he's telling us that there will be mourning. Yeah, there right. will be pain. It's, it's, it's not a, it's not an if; it's an when. It's right. a when, yep. and that you know they will be comforted. Yep. And that's just an unbelievable thing that a pastor can bring, you know, as, you know, I always like into like a, a cold blanket on a warm night or a warm blanket on a cold night. Yeah, yeah. You know, one of those things where it, there's a there's a comfort in that. Yep. There's a comfort in a, in a church and it doesn't have to be the pastor. Right. You know, a small group, a cell group, the totally. elders, whoever. Totally. You know, I mean, it's a friend. Yep. You know, when when something uh, traumatic happens in life or, yeah. you know, someone that goes through like a, a abrupt loss of a job. Yeah. I mean, just sitting and being with somebody. And again, we've we the culture wants us to stray away from that in some sense with technology. Yep. Right. right. Beings for someone like getting a text message like, I heart you. I'm here. <laughs> Emoji. Hug. Like that is not the same as getting. It's a hug. not. It's, it's not, not bad. It's not. It doesn't replace no, it, though. It does not replace it. And I think as as the church, we got to remember that um, mm. that the power of presence, you know, I like in it. One of my favorite movies for the past is Patch Adams, hmm. you know, and, and that's that movie with Ron Williams, who I just emulate in a lot, probably more than I should. Hmm. But he had the power of presence. Yeah, right. You know, where he would sit, you know, the kids in the leukemia ward or the cancer ward where he's dressing up like a clown. Right. You know, some may look at that as irreverent, inappropriate. Like, they say laughter is the best medicine. Like, why not make the kids laugh? Yeah, right. You know, these right. kids may not see 10 years old. They can laugh. Yes, and, right. Um, but just, yeah, that power of presence of going into a hospital room going into the counseling room, going into, you know, a couple coming in for marriage counseling or, you know, like tonight I have a, I, I'm meeting a couple for pre-marriage hmm. and it's not because I do marriage perfect. Right. right? I'm, right. My wife can attest to that, hmm. but it's the understanding of, you know, getting things out on the open. Yeah. Getting, right. you know, what are you feeling? Own those feelings, put them on the table. Right. You know, if you're mad, God's big enough to handle your anger. Yes. Like totally. he is. Totally. And that's okay. And that is definitely a part of the pastor that I, I love so much totally. and really, really think that um, the church, 
we can lose that. Yep. When it's all about experience, it's all about us. When we make it about us, it's hard to make it about other people. Yeah, totally. And that's really not the call of the church. That's the right. call of the church is to be the bride of Christ, you know, to be the hands and feet. And comfort's a big part of that. Well, and the thing that I find so interesting, too, is that we talk in theological terms uh, about the significance of the incarnation, this embodiment, and yet in our ministerial practices, so often it's it's actually the embodiment that we miss. Right. It's the last thing to have. I had a, a mentor years ago that used to always remind us, he said, platitudes can't hold a flame to presence. When you want to come up with a, a quip or a verse, nothing's wrong with those things. Nothing can replace just simply being with and weeping with, grieving with, like allowing Absolutely. their pain to shape you a little bit. I found, and maybe you found the same thing, has actually made me a better pastor. It's not just like good practice. Like now, you know, we're both about a decade and a half into this. Like, I, I cringe a little bit sometimes thinking how quickly I jump to solutions or prescribing right. something. And I realized, oh, that has a whole lot more to do with my discomfort than my desire to help them. And I've been so shaped. And I know that you have, too. We've shared stories of like, man, sitting with people in the pit of their grief when there is no easy answer. It doesn't tie up with a nice bow has legitimately made me not only a better pastor, but a better husband, a better father. And I think. Absolutely. Man, if, if if anyone listening can take that encouragement, if you're grieving or someone you know is grieving, like lean in, like fight the urge to just like make the discomfort go away, right. come to the solution, like just practice presence. And the beauty of presence is that it doesn't require you to have answers or solutions no. or even verses to quote. Absolutely. It's just you being present. Absolutely. What a powerful truth that is. Well, we're going to continue having a conversation with my good buddy, Jim Holland. We're going to talk about ministry and parenting and Lent and how to recalibrate our lives and all sorts of good things. That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, friends. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Sinkins, normally joined by Brian Fromm, but he's in Florida. You can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. You can also go to 1160hope.com, and the show is podcasted literally on any podcast platform you can think of. But we have in the studio a very special guest, my friend Jim Hollandoner. And uh, we've been talking about not only pastoral ministry, but specifically this idea of presence. How are we fully present? And I think that applies not just to pastors. I think all of us could probably stand to grow in this area, particularly in the area of, of grief, right? How do we, not only how do we grieve well individually, but how do we grieve well with other people. And, and one of the ways that um, I think the church historically has tackled topics like that is through the season of Lent. Absolutely. And we're in the middle of Lent. And some people, my guess is some people might not even know that. Like some churches are really intent on practicing Lent, walking through Lent. Plenty of churches aren't, but you, you guys are, right? Yeah. Uh, we are going through a Lent series right now. So Lent, you know, just historically is a 40 days. Um... Yo, I hit the, I hit a button. Uh <laughs> We're, you know, in the, especially in our cat with our Catholic brothers and sisters, they you know go through a time of giving things up for Lent. That's the like the meat on Fridays, you know. But it's that historical what I've I've talked about with my churches. You know, we want to be intentional about centering and contemplating hmm. really what Christ did, hmm. right? And that's and again, it's just like Advent, which is that series, you know, that time before Christmas. Right. We can let it come and go, but it's such wasted time. Hmm. And we, you know, part of it is for us, we're in. Uh, we, we're in a series called The Desolate Place, mm. and where we're unpacking the um, the temptation of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke, because mm. they have kind of the two fleshed out versions of that. Right. Um, and 
really looking at the different places that are in the desolate place hmm. where, you know, you have a place of learning, you have a place of, of comfort, you have a place of challenges, a place of, of doubt. Hmm. Um, we're going to doubt this week. And really, what does that look like? And yeah. it's, the, the interesting thing is we don't – sometimes we even skip over the temptation of Jesus because right. we're uncomfortable with it. Like Satan's there and we don't really like that. Just get and, to the miracles. You know, get to well, the... yeah, let's get to the ministry. Let's kind of you know do that. And if you really take time and spend, you know, uh, some good minutes in that text, both in Matthew and in Luke, there's, you know, there's really a battle going on yeah. between kind of Jesus and Satan in this where Satan's using Scripture, distorting it, all of this, offering things he can't offer, right. all of those things. And, Jace, er, and Jesus is combating that hmm. with Scripture, yeah, and right, right. and for me, it's 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 getting my folks at, at Munster Church to and whoever comes or listens, you know, to dive into the scriptures to um to memorize scripture mm-hmm. to kind of use that, yep. but also to you know really center on Jesus did all of this that human side, yeah. right to understand to help us understand when we go through it right right you know and it's not you know it's not like you know jesus could have just snapped his finger and said okay we're out of here we're done right you know i'm, right. You know, I'm, I'm jesus not, yeah exactly like i'm not i don't need to do this yeah. anymore um you know and i remind them even on the cross right he said mm-hmm. father forgive them yeah he right. didn't say father forget him i'm going home uh, yeah you know, he I'm said, done father, with this. yeah exactly he there was a mission there to accomplish there was a, a mm. salvation to bring mm. and that's i think where we want to get to when we get when we get when we go through hurt we want to get to the end of it you know, right. we want to get to like when is things going to be happy again? Or you know, I think about like couples that get divorced. Like you know, the kids, if especially if they're young, like when are you and daddy going to get back together? When is everything going to be okay? Right, and right. It, and life isn't there all the time. That's right. You know, we have five stages of grief for a reason, right? Yep. Where yep. that acceptance is that last piece. Hmm. But it takes a long time. It's a journey. It's a journey there, and, and we kind of want to microwave those things, right? Oh, Just get we me want there. to because we don't like to be uncomfortable, right? I mean, when you if you line up ten people and say, "Hey, do you want to be uncomfortable right now?" Like, <laughs> "Hey, that's an uncomfortable question to ask." Right, but right. it's one of those like, "No, I'd rather not." Yeah, we'd rather not. We'd totally. rather skip out on the pain. Totally, you know. And I, I always tell my church, I said, if it was me, I'd say, "Father, forget you." you yeah, know, for, right. Father, forget them. I want, forget I want to be back home. I want yes, to go. Right. right? And it's it's so important to be ever present in that. Mm. And what I've asked of the folks at, at Munster or those that you know listen to the sermons online or whatever is, you know, in those desolate place times, mm. simply asking the question, Lord, what are you showing me? Mm. What what am, what am I learning in this? Um, he doesn't expect us to pick it up all the time. Right. I don't think he does. Right. But it's one of those being intentional about asking that. That's good. Asking that because we all go through it. Yep. We all go through it in, in different stages and different ways. And it it's all looks different, sounds different, smells different, all that kind of stuff. Yep. But the questions are still there and the answers can be found. Totally. Totally. We, we just started a new series yesterday actually at Community. And uh, it's a lot of it's based on Scott McKnight's new book called Open to the Spirit. Mm. And so we're calling the series Open. And uh, so I, I taught at the Yellow Box. And one of the texts that actually I referenced was Jesus um, being led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And I said, we so often skip over that, that sometimes, sometimes our wilderness seasons are a result of our bad choices. Right. But sometimes the, I, I I believe God's lead leads us there to teach us stuff, to show us stuff, to to force our roots to go down deep. And I I'd never really thought about it that way. Yeah. So often it's the, the wilderness seasons are like, get me get me out of this. Right. I don't want to right. be here anymore. And that's right. just honest. And I think as sure. a, as a pastor, knowing that people often will feel that way. People don't typically instinctually say, Lord, what are you teaching me in this wilderness? It's right. like bring me to green pastures. Right. I'm yeah. done with. Even if even if it's not suffering, even just the waiting, Absolutely. right? Like I don't oh, even like yeah, red lights. Waiting light. on a job, waiting right. on a, a totally. relationship and to w- heal something. Sometimes it's yeah. even less 
I think like waiting in line, waiting at a red light. Like we don't wait well. Oh, sure. And I think in a lot of ways, Lent sort of is that, right? It is this like, okay, we're going to sit in this space leading up to the celebration, leading up to this culmination. But that space is so hard to create sometimes. And I'd love to know like how how is your church interacting with that? What have been some of the struggles and like helping really walk people through like Lent and grief and suffering? And what's that that been like? Yeah, one of the things that we have to remind ourselves, like you talked about in your sermon yesterday, is that, yeah, Jesus being, it's, you know, the Matthew and Luke say it a little bit differently, being filled with the Spirit, he was driven to the wilderness, Uh or the Spirit drove him. Either way, the Spirit was present, right? right? I mean, you see a beautiful Trinity understanding at the baptism, because that happened right before. People forget that. It's like, oh, baptism. And it's not like after (laughs) the, the back and forth with Satan, it's like, oh, now he gets to go home. No, now he's starting his ministry. Yeah, right, right? right, like it's that now it's go time. Now the things yes. are going to happen. The prophecies are going to get fulfilled right. even more, and we're going to culminate right in, in Holy Week. Yep. Right, your yep. Monday, Thursday, or Palm Sunday, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday. You know, Easter Sunday, all of those things. And at, at Munster, it's you know the waiting. It's never easy, you right. know, and it's in, you know, the cool thing is, you know, that we have a, we have a, a leadership at the church and and just foundational people that. Um, are always kind of looking to the horizon of mm. you know, we never want to be comfortable. Mm. You know, I have the director of my community outreach, right? Uh, his name's Doug. He's a beautiful guy. Mm. And he all, I never want my team to be comfortable mm. because that means then we're losing, right? That we're mm. not on mission then. Mm. And so what is the next thing? What's the next relationship? What can we do? What can we, and, and it's, it, it can be exhausting, yep. but it's also one of those, we're not trying to have 30,000 ministries. Right. We'd rather have kind of four or five that we do really, really, really well oh, because good. it's also partnering with other churches. And you go on Ridge Road, there's nine churches in a two mile stretch. No kidding. In nine churches, wow. you know, all from different spectrum of churches. You know, mainly there are a lot of reformed in that area, yep. and that's fine. But, I mean, it's one of those, what can we do to partner, Yep. you know, and what can we do to, you know, uh, support the community? That's and good. what can we do to get into the nitty-gritty of life? Like, we have AA and NA that meet at Munster Church. And, you know, again, not even just, I mean, that's all good to have for yeah. community members that totally. need it. Totally. But, you know, really it's... It also could be as simple as that welcoming on a Sunday morning. Yep. You know, having someone in the parking lot, not in a creepy way, not in an uncomfortable way, you know, but just say, welcome, we're glad that you're here. And not have it be like a robot, like, we are glad that you are here. (laughs) You know, please fill out a card. Uh, Do you want to play a game? You know, like, it's not that. Right, right, right. It's a genuine, like, we don't know what you're bringing. We don't know how, you know, what. this may be your first time in church. Totally. Fine. Yep. And we really want you to not only feel you know comfortable in a in a sense where you're not like at, you know like on a edge. welcome. They're a welcome. Absolutely. Right. You know, but I I start every Sunday morning with reminding everybody the reason why we're here is because we're broken. Yeah. We need, we're we're all seeking that Savior, right? Totally. We all need that. None of us can do it ourselves. I always say, if you're a perfect person, please don't waste your time here. Yeah. Like you right. don't need to be here. Right. And. You know, no one's ever left, which is good. You know, because that <laughs> that probably be awkward. But you know, yeah, it's one of those things where. To practice the power of presence, you know, I think there's a lot of that has to do with fellowship, yeah. you know, dinners, yep. you know, and, and again, Munster Church, whew, they can cook and there's some good food. That's awesome. And that's, you know, that was a check on the box when I was interviewing. Um, but no, it's one of those aspects of the power of presence being in fellowship, yes. in community, not just for that hour and 10 minutes right. on a Sunday, but what are we doing throughout the week right. for our kids, for our, our couples, for our singles? Yep. You know, again, that's a whole nother conversation, but we're trying, again, we're, we're just 
trying to be president at 214 Ridge Road. That's awesome. That's like the, the diatribo is the word used to describe Jesus spending time right. with the disciples. Absolutely. That literally means to like rub up against. It's right. not just uh, a counseling session and I'll see you next week. It's, right. oh man, we're in it. We're doing life, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah. And as a church, man, I, I imagine too how encouraging it must be for somebody to hear their pastor say, I'm broken too. Oh, I have man. questions too. I got yeah. doubt too. That's so. I feel like that's so refreshing. And in the and age so of the pastors that we see, celebrity or not, that yeah, just, right. That, right. You know, again, we we're human, right? Yeah, we make totally. mistakes. Totally. That that didactic. I'm up here. Uh, yeah. You're down here. Yes. I can't stand that. Yeah. Right. And it's so dangerous, and it's so um, nerve wracking. And if you have that relationship, yeah, owning that together is yeah. a powerful thing. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding, man. Well, I'm excited to have Jim Hollandoner in the studio here today while Brian is in Florida. Coming up next, we're going to continue talking about his ministry in Munster and maybe talk a little bit about his family life and some of the ways that he kind of keeps that all in balance with everything that he's doing. That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hi, right, friends. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. Or 1160hope.com. Normally, Brian would be here, but he's swimming or sunbathing or something in Florida. I don't know what he's doing. He doesn't tell me these things. He sent me a photo just bragging that he's at the pool. Mm. So uh, we'll see if we let him back. Uh, <laughs> but that mm that you just heard is my good friend, Jim Hollandoner. And uh, Jim is not only a really dear friend, but I think he's a brilliant pastor and leader. And uh, I just think he's got so much giftedness to the church. And uh, he recently took a position in Munster, Indiana at Munster Church and has been loving it, I hear. Mm. And so we <laughs> so much. Mm, we're about to rap right now, aren't we? I hope this breaks into some sort of <laughs> just hip hop freestyle. That would make my day. But so a lot of times we talk to pastors and you only you only get to hear about, you know, like the ministry or the this book they're writing or like what they're, you know what they're reading or whether I'd love to like get to know Jim, the the husband and the father a little bit, just like tell us a little bit about your family. What are some of the ways you kind of keep a work-life balance? What are some things that just anyone listening that uh, maybe could use some encouragement with their own family or their own dynamics? I mean, being a husband and a father is its own kind of full-time job. Uh, tell us a little about your, your personal side. Absolutely. Um, Definitely work in progress, hmm. I think, is definitely a uh, – if, if someone would ever ask me to write a book, no one has. That's another reason why we're not talking about Jim, it. would you write a book, please? But I, no. <laughs> and, um, no, it's one of those things where, I mean, anyone that gets into marriage gets into uh, all of that stuff yeah. and thinks they're going to do it perfectly. They're kidding themselves. I mean, it's it's just – it's it's difficult at times. Yeah. And, um, being able to have eyes to see that the Lord, I think, has given me that, um, you know, I mean, just totally outkicked my coverage when it comes to my wife. Oh, my word. I've met your wife, and that's you know, absolutely true. Yeah. And so it <laughs> and is. And I love you. Yeah. I no, love you. I get but... it. I get it. Yeah. But, you know, I, I mean, I, it was one of my mentors really beginning in my ministry years um, that behind every good pastor is even better pastor's wife. Hmm. And I think a pastor's wife is such a specific job, um, something that has to be just done by the Holy Spirit because of the stuff they're going to have to put up with. Yeah. And coming into my first lead pastorate, um, Carrie had to know, or she knew, I mean, she knew that for about five hours on a Sunday morning that she was not the only bride that I had. 
Huh. You know, and there and there's definitely a that con- you can't jump into that lightly. Right. You know that there, you know, she she has to come in. She has three beautifully frustrating boys. You know, one and a half <laughs> of them know how to sit in church. The other one and a half don't. Um, I'm uh, curious about yeah, the half. We'll talk about that later. We're not going there. But, uh, you know, it's kind of like, you know. There's a nursery for one of them, so that's right, easier. Right, right, right. You know, and so she she goes through that, and the beautiful thing is she has she has help at Munster Church whenever she needs it. That's great. You know, I mean, there are be people. I've told my elders, if you see my boys that need to be disciplined, discipline them. Like you're allowed to. You said you that. Know, I, I literally them? gave wow. them permission for that because you know the church is a body. When when we baptized our boys into the covenant, again, I'm not going to get into credo baptism, paleo baptism. I don't, <laughs> I don't care. But it's one of those things that we were baptizing them in, in into the Lord, but also into the community of faith right. that we found ourselves. And now that we're at Munster, that's that community of faith. Yeah, right. And so understanding that, understanding that, um, and, and what was interesting is Munster's had a mentor culture for the last 30 years hmm. that any kid that's baptized into the church or make profession of faith or join the church, an adult is put with them. Hmm. I mean, safe, all of that. And I'll get to that in a second. You know, we want to be able to have avenues for our kids of safe places. Yeah, right. And we all know. I mean, if you're sitting in your car right now and you're listening, you know that we're not, not everything's safe anymore. Yeah, and right. if the church can be a safe place, even though for now, you know, a lot of churches it's not, unfortunately. Yeah, no kidding. You know, that's a whole nother segment, I'm sure. But we want that for our kids. And so having people that can walk then outside of your parents, but spiritual aunts and uncles, totally. if you will. That's good. Um that is a huge thing, and yep. that is a beautiful thing for us. And being six months in, we're still—I mean, we're still in the kiddie pool of it, of understanding all right. of that, and really walking in that. And like I said before, I don't think like the honeymoon period when it ends is going to be like this steep drop off a cliff, right? Or the bottom's going to fall out or right. anything, because the people at Munster are—they're just too beautiful for that. You know, they—and they, awesome. they're—and there's—they they have longevity, right? Yep. They understand the the big picture. They're in it for the long haul. Oh right? my word, you know, and and that's such a blessing for us. Totally. And you know, to be able to you know not would stay there for you know a long time is yeah. a is a goal for us and exciting and you know I, I think about you know my boys now are six four and two that let's say in ten years right if I could do the math that'll be sixteen fourteen and twelve I think that math checks know, out yeah well good. done <laughs> and um, uh, I'm still not writing a book but it's <laughs> if I could have a sixteen year old a fourteen year old twelve year old at a church like Munster and just the people I know that would be speaking into their lives yeah. Oh, my word. I think that would just be a beautiful thing. Yeah, no kidding. And, I mean, just a, a wonderful way for them to see that, okay, this Christian life, mm. at 6, 4, and 2, you don't fully understand it you don't, at all. I don't think we ever do, especially at 6, 4, and 2. Right. But to be able to see it lived out totally in an authentic way, not in a I'm a perfect way and I'm way up here and you're way down there. Yeah. But in a way that's in the, you know, every day that ends in why, they're going to try to be in this battle of faith. Totally. And the promise that if you're in the battle, you're winning knowing that it's ultimately won at the end, yep. that's a beautiful thing. And yeah. that is something, you know, when we when we got there, the, the vision statement is loving God, loving people. Hmm. And I was like, wow, okay, that's the commission. Like, yeah. okay, that's for I'm everybody. In, I'm into that. You yeah. know, like, all right. I mean, but, I mean, they legitly have made decisions and governance and all of that to live that out. They put their money where their mouth is, right? Absolutely. That's, that's oh, awesome. my word. And, again, not perfectly because no church does, right. but – at the same time, it is a it's a good place for Karen and I and the boys. We we are blessed by it. We loved our previous church. I mean, first Christian Reformed Church at Crown Point. I mean, we that 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 will always be a very dear chapter of our lives yep. for almost five years. And um, the the growth and the 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 stuff going on there. I mean, just beautiful people over there, leadership, all of that good stuff. 
God just said, okay. I mean, I fought him. I fought him this, this transition. I fought the Lord on this and said, why are you doing this? And oh. then he'd kind of like kindly remind me, like, remember, I'm God, you're not. Yeah, and right. And it's like, right. oh, right. Like, I say that on Sundays, but even pastors struggle with that. Yeah, totally. You know, and recalibrating to this understanding of, of who Jesus is, who God is, who I am, really helps with our parenting in a lot of that as well. I'm sure. And, you know, um, reminding, you know, not only opening the word, but, you know, for me in our family, trying to memorize scripture a little bit. Hmm. I think that's just a huge thing for us and centering on that and praying together. And um, you got to be careful because it's a, it's a, it's a profession, not only for the pastor, but also for the pastor's family. Yes. That church is profession. And so that's why like the church kids stigma is out there, right? you know, and um, you know, trying to just, you know, what does that look like authentically? Okay, so dad's going to preach about, you know, a husband being nice to a wife on Sunday morning. How more are six beautifully, wonderfully exhausting eyes looking at how (laughs) I'm going to live that out to my wife? Totally. You know, and... uh, They're seeing if the proof is in the pudding, right? Oh, absolutely. Does the sermon actually match? Bingo. And is dad living out what he's preaching? Totally. And again, do I do it perfectly? No. However, it is something that Carrie and I are very conscientious of. Yeah. And it's something that um, especially... As we kind of go through this this new call, this new chapter of our life, it is something that we want to be intentional about because we also don't want that statistic to be there of right. you know the pastor kid that walked away from the church. Right, right. And I and yeah, I, I'm I'm confident that won't be there. Yeah. But it's also a confidence based solely on the gospel and totally. solely on that desolate place of needing Jesus. Absolutely. <laughs> Amen to that. Absolutely. Well, brother, I, I love you so much. Oh. I'm so grateful for your friendship, for your ministry. Back at you you man. can learn more at Munster.Church. Is that yes. right? 9.30 Munster. Sunday mornings. There it is. Jim Holland donor here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.